Pot. It is your part documentary, part roundtable podcast with just a sprinkling of competition. I'm your host, Ellie Main, and joining me, as I have every week, is my good dear friend, Chelsea Harfouche. Chelsea, how are you? I am doing all right. Okay. I quit my job, as you know. <gasps> Bravery. Bravery in the yeah. house. Yeah, like just like essentially brave. A woman's bravery. A woman's bravery. I quit my job, but never fear. It is simply because I got a different job. A different job, a new job. <laughs> a new job. And I'm very excited. I'm excited for a lot of reasons. And I'm obviously going to like announce the new job on social media <laughs> soon. <laughs> okay. But I will say I'm really excited because it's a remote job oh whereas old job is what we can call it now old job started Stinky. to be like you guys need to come in the office two days a week Ooh, for no, no, mm, no, 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 no reason for no reason no thank you <laughs> i cheers to you and your thank new you. job thank Clink. you I, I cheers you across the distance of austin that we are right now across the city across the city <laughs> Cheers. And you also, you fucking deserve it. And well done. And all those things. Thank you. I'm very excited. You know, like in a way, like, am I an Olympian? Oh my God. Maybe. I mean, it would have also been fair if you had just said no. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But actually, that kind of ties into my fact bang for today. I'd love to hear it. I went with it. Uh So Miles and I have been listening to Mythos. I can't remember who the author is, which is like really my bad. And I should have come prepared with that. But it just kind of came to me off the dome here. So but. I know that it's the audible audiobook of it is read by Stephen Fry and it is incredibly written. Like it's an incredible narrative retelling of all the like ancient Greek mythos about like the Titans and the gods and how the world was made and Mother Gaia and like all the stuff. And it's awesome, right? It slaps. And sounds pretty cool. It's super cool. And so I learned this story about the honeybee. So apparently Zeus was throwing this party on Mount Olympus and he was like, hey, so um, because I'm just like kind of cheeky and I get to do what I want. Whoever brings the most <laughs> delicious dish to my party, uh, will I will grant them a single wish, just one single wish. Everyone around who heard about this party was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to make the most delicious dishes and blah, 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 blah. And they did that. So he's at the party at Mount Olympus and he's like walking around and tasting everybody's dishes and being like, oh, yum, yum, yum. But then he happens upon this new thing that no one's ever had before ever. And it tastes like sugar, but it's thick and sweet. And he is like, what is this? Who who brought this dish? And this little fairy comes up and said, this is mine. It's called honey. And Zeus is like, whoa, I need some of that. Like, what What's going on with that? And also, what is your wish? And so this fairy- <laughs> And also. <laughs> and also such as what is your wish? And this fairy goes, well, here's the thing. So it takes me fucking ages to make this shit. Like it takes me so long and it's really hard. And like, I have to like use my body to do it. And it's just very tiring. And then things like people and gods and whoever comes along and they just like take it from me. And that sucks for me. So I, what I'm asking you for my wish, Zeus, oh Zeus, is Mm -hmm. uh, a weapon. Can I have a weapon that like, (laughs) so that I can fend people off from my honey. And... (laughs) And Zeus goes, oh my God, you selfish little bitch. You want to (laughs) keep all that honey to yourself? It's fucking delicious. And you're going to deny everybody else some of that sweet, good honey because you want to keep it all? You know what? Fuck you. And yes, I am going to give you a weapon. But the thing is, if you use it, it's going to fucking kill you. And she's (gasps) like, oh, well, that fucking sucks. Uh, Ergo, the 
therefore, ergo therefore, the honeybee who, if they sting you, then their like abdomen gets ripped out and they die. But not like a wasp or a hornet who does no, doesn't makes no honey, does nothing for nobody. They can sting you and run away and live. But apparently, that's the story of why the honeybee is cursed to die if it stings you. <laughs> Isn't that is cool? Because is because its honey was so sweet. It's because she was selfish. <laughs> I mean, look, she wanted like, all her honey, and Zeus was like, no, bit. Look, uh, there's an internal logical consistency there, and I mean, I think we can all agree, like laterally, like scientifically, fuck uh-huh. honeybees. Right, but also like, oh, so sweet. They actually, like, you know, they do good, but the wasps don't. No, do I'm anything. yeah, I'm I'm kidding. Like, right, these are yeah. very, these are very yeah. important. Don't kill For them. Sure. Yeah, don't. Please don't. I was just thinking of that because I've been like inundated with those save the bees TikToks. And yeah, and that's how I save the bees. Save the bees. Girl. She does have like a way. I know we've talked about her more than once on this podcast. But the save <laughs> the bees lady, and like God, I hope this isn't like too niche. Like I'm assuming like. Any moment now, we're gonna get like an iTunes review that's just like, "Hey, hey, the bees, people. Hey, stop. Yeah, hey, stop talking about like a niche, like Texas-based content creator that none of us know about." But there's a bees lady, and she's in Texas. She's so self-righteous about saving bees. Yeah, and she has like a very specific cadence to her voice, where she's like, "I went there, and there was a bee colony in the umbrella. I scooped the bees out of the umbrella. I looked for that queen." And that's when I found the queen. All the drones went to the queen. And that's another day of saving the bees. And, and you're like, okay. <laughs> and that's every single video. And there are loads of them. This one, I mean, you would think that this woman yeah. could like, well, okay, to go on a little bit of a tangent. Have you, Eleanor Maine, ever seen an incredible film by the name of Jupiter Rising? Is it Jupiter Rising or Jupiter Ascending? <laughs> the thing is Might Jupiter. It's Jupiter Ascending and also no. Oh, well, I'm glad that you knew what it was called is Jupiter Ascending which is a slightly better name isn't that the one with Eddie Redman oh Eddie Redman is in there doing he, some doing his real thing weird up on the shit screen? he's doing some weird shit okay uh, and so is Channing Mila Tatum Kunis? oh Channing no. Tatum is in there and Mila Kunis is the titular oh, Jupiter then yes but he, okay so this is like the most minor spoiler because it's also the premise but it's inexplicably treated like I guess like a first act twist when, I don't know when the spoiler is the premise the spoiler is the premise, but it's also treated like a first act twist and this first in a series of many of oops all twists. Look, okay. it's not a good film. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you should watch it because it's like a bonkers film. Well, I uh, like that. It's by yeah. the same. It's the it's the woman who did um uh, Speed Racer. So the Wachowski sisters. Like, yeah, it's the, oh, it's the Wachowskis. Yeah. So it's bonks and like uh, basically weird. Mila Kunis is like a mild mannered. I think she might be an undocumented immigrant, Perfect. but unclear from like how. Or where but question uh, mark. and then she just is and then it turns out that she is the um like the queen of like a distant planet's planetness like kingdom planet kingdom <laughs> you know you get it she's like a serious queen but here's the best part uh-huh <laughs> The way that the other aliens on Earth figure out that she is this lost queen yeah. is because honeybees on Earth keep following her around. <laughs> oh, and, perfect. Uh, what's his name? Sean Bean, uh, a.k.a. fucking Eddard Stark from Game of Thrones, has to say the line. A.k.a. Boromir. Come on. A.k.a. Boromir has to say the line completely seriously, straight face. Uh, bees can naturally sense royalty because they have a queen. <laughs> so the 
implication is that thieves, oh, oh, because they have a covenant, queen. Covenant bees, that means that she's like dead royal. Yeah, that she's like absolutely royal. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, good for her. Yeah, but it's very stupid. But yeah, you, you should sure. definitely watch that movie. Like, definitely, for uh, sure. Yeah, it's wild. I have an absolute slammer jammer of a fact bang for you. Oh my gosh, okay. And the way that I know that it's a slammer jammer is because I told it to Connor and he thought I was lying. Oh, did it not even get the cursory, oh hell yeah? It was beyond that? No, he that? was just, he's like, no, it's not, that's not real. And I was like, <gasps> no, 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 it is. Tell me immediately, please. Do you know that Woody Harrelson's dad is a famous hitman? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he like worked for like national crime syndicates in like the 60s. The FBI investigated him as potentially being a contract killer responsible for JFK's assassination. And he murdered a like prominent Texas judge. Oh. On contract and was in a supermax prison until he died. <laughs> Super uber duper prison. I feel like that does somewhat explain Woody Harrelson as yeah, a person. Like the way he is. Like the way that he is and that. <laughs> Mostly that. Yeah, yeah. Woody Harrelson once said about his father that he goes to visit. I mean, when he was alive, he's not alive anymore. But when his father was alive, he would go visit him pretty regularly in prison. Yeah. And he said, you know, I don't know how to feel about my father, which everyone kind of thought like, oh, because he was like a multiple like a like a professional murderer and he's like uh yeah i you know i kind of see him as like more as like a friend and less as like a father and uh, we're like oh weird oh that's not yeah that's not where we thought <laughs> you were weird. gonna go with that yeah that's huh. interesting okay yeah <laughs> so yeah his father was charles harrelson if you want to look him up and he was a very prolific and infamous hitman in the like 40s through the 60s wow uh, and connor's response to this which was incredible was that he didn't think that hitmen were real (laughs) (laughs) of course they are real (laughs) and and he was like well like who would they kill for he thought like you know like the way that like i don't know like wolves yeah i'm trying to think or like is there a fake job like maybe like men in black are like not real and i'm like no no no, they're real hitmen and like contract killers i guess like yeah that's the job it's a whole thing <laughs> and i guess because like you know they're all like so like mythologized and you know like tv and film and stuff yeah i mean there's a whole and, video game series about it well then the best part was then i was like yeah like who do you think kills people for like the mafia and then he had this look in his face <laughs> and i was like do not tell me that you don't think that the mafia is real but i couldn't <laughs> and he was like no i know mafia is real but i was like he had this mm. look on his face you're not certain that that was true i'm not sure that connor knows that the mafia is real <laughs> Oh. So that's something that's an investigation I will be doing. Yeah, you and should, reporting back on. You should get him to watch Donny Brasco, that Johnny Depp vehicle, but it's about like the real life cop who then like got too deep in with the mafia and then like kind of blew his cover but then also kind of didn't and then like never figured out which side he was on. Oh damn, that's a mind fuck. That is kind of a mind fuck, but it's it's, it's a true story because the mafia is real. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just saying it's like it's not just Sopranos, it's not just like hey gabagool like <laughs> Like it is real. This morning, got some gabagool. Some uh, you know how we have those friends where the male partner in the in the relationship terrorizes his female partner by speaking with the voice of her cat and being like, "I'm gonna get that wet food." Yes, yes, yes. So I, I thought that was me like contextualizing it because again, this is an audio format from people <laughs> who are not like enmeshed in our lives and like the <laughs> microculture of our friends. Uh-huh. So we have these friends. They're a couple. The guy 
in the couple will terrorize the girl in the couple by speaking for her cat and being like, hey, let me get that waffle. Let me get that waffle. Yeah, let me get that waffle. Yeah. Which I mean, to be fair, I think is what a cat would sound like if it could talk about (laughs) waffle. But anyway, I like to do that for Tony Soprano Uh, with mm -hmm. Gabagool. With this Gabagool. Uh, We went and saw Inside at at the movie theater over the week. How was that? It was really fun. There was a man in the audience with us Mm. who we were pretty sure it was his first time seeing Inside and also maybe any stand-up comedy (laughs) and also maybe being in a theater because he was having, like he was having the loudest, most like intense reactions to every single thing. Like you could tell that like pretty much everybody in the theater, I guess except for this guy, had seen Inside. That's why they were there. Right. Uh, And so they're all like, ah, white woman's Instagram. This is fun. And this guy's like, Like from oh, like the wow. from like the very front of the auditorium, like just absolutely like, can you guys get a load of this? And we're like, yeah, it's it's good. Could he have been uh, on like all the drugs? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. maybe it was like macro dosing yeah. right before. And yeah. just like losing his just, mind. Yeah, he decided to just like lose his gourd in the Alamo. Bo Burnham was like reaching through time and space uh, <laughs> to tell this guy that he was turning 30. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, there was a trailer for I got to see the the first trailer that I've seen after having heard about this movie for I feel like 10 years The Many Saints of Newark the uh, Sopranos uh-huh. prequel yes I saw making. that too yeah it's crazy that kid looks just like his dad who would have thought <laughs> incredible casting but a terrible 70s haircut oh yeah Oof. But anyway, the whole time I was like turning over to Celia and I was like, get this man some gabagool. He's got to get that gabagool. Oh, we definitely sang it at the end when it just like came out with the music. We were like, got some yeah. gabagool. <laughs> anyway, what a long prelude to just that anecdote. And I hope it was worth it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we'll see, won't we? Chelsea, what is the title of your topic this week? Title of my topic, and it's interesting because I am interested to see how much you know about this. I feel like you will at least know uh-huh. the bones of this story, but we'll find, but maybe not. We'll find out. Okay. The title of my topic is The Nine Days Queen. Nine Days Queen. I immediately see some kind of midsummer shit. You see some midsummer shit, like some cult shit? Yeah, like a nine days queen, like some kind of ritual, some weird thing. Mm, you are looking under, you're looking in the Wrong cupboard, Mother Hubbard. All right. <laughs> All right. Let me 180. Let me shuffle over here. And let's say I'm looking at uh, uh, chess. Queen. Chess. Queen. Chess. No. Mm, ah, piss. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, hang on. Is this the actual story of like that sickly little woman that was queen for nine days? Uh, is that it? It is the story of a woman who was queen for nine days, like in the most literal sense. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't sickly. Oh, uh, maybe I think I've mixed two things up, but it was a woman who was queen for nine days and then she probably got the chop, right? You'll just have to find out. Oh my gosh. So I used to have this like horrible histories book that had all like the grisly tales of what happened to every monarch and, mm-hmm. and it just sort of came back to me in a Flash there. It's like, <laughs> well, that's what I was gonna days. say. Transported I guess through time. Uh, minor spoilers for my upcoming topic, but it is an English queen. So that's why I was like, I was gonna be like, well, you probably know about this. And then I was like, well, that's rich because like I don't know every like I don't think I could name every president. Uh, and we've only had a presidency for like two hundred fifty years. So. Yes, I've remembered her name, but I don't want to give it away. Give it away. Yeah, for sharks. Uh, give it away now. So my topic this week is called. <laughs> well, hey Chelsea, you know that like. 
when we get to go to uh, the beach and we get to go to like Port A or yeah, the that beach, beach, the beach, beach, let's go get away. Um, how we like to like um, find treasures on the sand. Oh, yeah. You're going to want to find a treasure and like maybe even have a basket for it. Yeah. OK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. this my topic is called the worst beach treasure. Oh, no. Is it like a body <laughs> on the beach? Uh, it's not a body. Okay. Is it a whale? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like a beached whale? Because I've always thought that would be really awful to experience. That would probably suck also. Yeah, no, it's not that. Yeah, no. okay. Well, it can't be sea glass because that rules. <laughs> and it can't be like that thing from Sweet Home Alabama where they make the glass by like directing lightning on the beach because uh, that was awesome. That also and sounds And that's why they included cool. it in that American classic film, Sweet Home Alabama, <laughs> named for the song Sweet Home Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> it's the uh, real chicken and egg situation for me. I don't know you, which came first. Oh, well, let me help you out. The song is from like the 70s Perfect. and the movie stars Reese Witherspoon okay, uh, before so, she became like so, a more serious like, so a little later power than that player. Yeah. So actually like a little bit later. <laughs> okay. It's about a woman who's like in New York and she's like a fashionista and like a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she has to go back home to Alabama to no. Sweet Home Alabama oh, to no. get a divorce. Oh, from her like from her like husband that she left in Alabama and then as soon as she immediately goes back to Alabama where she's Uh from Sweet Home Alabama her voice changes and she's like won't you give me that divorce Uh, it's weird it's weird but so it's not that okay no so it's not that so it's not that so it's the worst beach treasure Uh, is it have to do with the storming of Normandy (laughs) oh that's a bad beach treasure but no it's It's a pretty bad one I'm thinking about bad shit that happens that's a real (gasps) macro beach bad beach treasure okay I have one more guess. Okay. Because I feel like this is it. <gasps> okay. Did you go see that movie about Old Beach and you're just going to tell us about it? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I'm going to give you the synopsis of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Where they go to the Old no, Beach. So actually, fun fact, we had tickets to go on Friday and then the reviews were so bad that we switched them today and we went to go and see Pig starring Nicolas Cage. I heard that's really good. It is really good. It's very sweet. Oh, I'm just afraid that the pig is going to get hurt. I can't say anything. Yeah, that means it does. So, well, uh, no, it doesn't, does it? Because it's like being, it's literally the word is the movie name. So it's pretty central. Yeah. Whatever happens to the pig is pretty central to the plot, isn't it? That's true. I told Connor that I would, I really wanted to watch John Wick, but I hadn't seen it yet because I know that, oh, like, yeah. a, I think a dog gets hurt. And so, uh, but you need to know that that he, then becomes the motivation of rage for the next three movies. Yeah, but he's making me a, a cut, like a Chelsea cut of John Wick. Because, <laughs> you know, he's been teaching himself premiere uh so he's making a cut of it where he's cutting out that part and replacing it with like a tom and jerry like an old style cartoon oh just sort of like represent something happening to like the pet (laughs) like it'll take the same amount of time in the movie but it will just be this cartoon instead (laughs) yeah incredible it's it's the chelsea cut oh my gosh release the chelsea cut i please beg of you ready for the worst beach treasure i'm so ready okay so it's a tuesday morning in september 2020 Uh uh-oh recent (laughs) topical topical jimmy sender a 47 year old construction worker was strolling along the shores of lake michigan at samuel myers park he was in search of sea glass why chelsea because it rules yeah because it's so good because it's so good because he's also an artist so he built sea glass into his creative sculptures that he makes in 
his spare time, which also rules. Very cool. Yeah, so I love that. He regularly goes out to the beach looking up and down for different materials to weave into his sculptures. But on this day, on this particular Tuesday morning, he was about to find something else entirely. A worse thing. A, a, a worse a bad thing. thing. A worse yeah. thing. He found a curious looking package lying on its own close to the water's edge. Uh, it caught his eye. He later told reporters and police that curiosity got the better of him and he approached the package and unwrapped it. It was in aluminium foil and it was fastened with a pink rubber band or aluminum. Sorry. It was an aluminum foil. An aluminum foil. I'm fastened with a pink rubber band. And inside of the package, lying there, gray, kind of gray, green, and gooey, there was a small brain sitting among pink flowers and what appeared to be some kind of currency. Are you are, are you serious? I'm 100 percent serious. Now when you say small brain. Small brain. Just just say more. Just say more. Yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to jump ahead. Well, so you know, well, you know what the custom is when people find weird shit. What do they do? They small brains. They he posted to Facebook, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So he posted to Facebook and he's like, WTF, found a brain. And the comments, uh, all the comments that came, they're like, well, that looks like a, that brain looks small. I don't know if it's a human brain, um, but what's going on? Maybe there's like a child's brain. So then obviously it got started again, like sharing and stuff. And people were just like, oh my gosh, something bizarre and interesting enough to like care about is going along Facebook and crazy. So this guy, Jimmy Sender, told the media that he was so dumbfounded by his discovery of a brain wrapped in aluminium foil near the lake that his own brain struggled to comprehend precisely what he was unfolding. But he then shared his, he shared his find online, obviously, and then with some city workers who confirmed that, yep, that's a brain. And then the police arrived at the scene and they came to the same conclusion, sure is a brain. So they take it off to the medical examiner's office and they tested it and they concluded, thankfully, the brain was not human, definitely not human. It belonged to an animal, possibly they couldn't tell but possibly a pig or a cat um oh, but it's pretty so small much, it's very small yeah it's like kind of a size of like a chicken breast i guess about yeah. that size i always joke that mamba has a little like walnut brain <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean <laughs> yeah it's probably about little they were like either a pig or a cat it's probably in that same sort of size ratio yeah but pretty much like everything that i have said everything that has been described so far in this story is as much of the facts as we have like the rest of it is kind of a very apparently tightly locked mystery. So I propose that we put on our deer stalkers and we decide to become detectives and survey the evidence that we can find at the scene and kind of see where it goes. If you would join me on this adventure. I am so ready for this adventure. Can I, can I just do a quick derailment? Just like the quickest aside. Yeah. yeah, You can be like Watson. What's going on? Yeah. You know me. So I just wanted to read you because I think you'll really like it. I was, when you said that, I immediately like opened up a tab to look at what a cat brain looks like. Sure. And so, you know, I like a visual. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And the thing that came up was this article called How Does a Cat Brain Compare with a Human Brain, which I guess is where the photo that I was looking at was from. Uh But then the subtitle for this article says, it's like it says, how does a cat brain compare with a human brain? And then subtitle, did you know that a cat's brain has 1,000 times more data storage than an iPad and operates a million (laughs) times faster? And then in all caps, then an iPad? Yeah, and then it goes, and then in all caps it says, size of head does not matter. Oh, and, like, <laughs> and I was like, was this written by a cat? What? <laughs> what? I, I just like, it's Am so I aggressive. Am I that because my iMac is bigger than my head that it is therefore smarter than I am? 
I think that the cat that wrote this is worried that you might think that, and they're like, "Don't think that." Size nice of head does try, Mister Mistopheles. <laughs> Fuck off! My brain is actually so fucking strong. How dare they? <laughs> Size of head does not matter. It does not matter. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. You and I are about to become detectives. Okay, I'm ready to detect. So I'm gonna be the Sherlock, and you can be Doctor Watson. Is that right? Good. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, because yeah, because you got the brain and the heart. Well, because I've seen I... House. All right, good. So what do we find in this package? We have this animal brain, which we've recently tested, so we know that it's either a cat or a pig, something within that region. It's not a person. But what else is in this package? There are pink flowers, and upon inspection and and some a little bit of research, probably googling, we can conclude that the currency the brain is surrounded in is a Chinese paper money okay so like modern modern chinese modern chinese money yeah okay because this was you know september last year so what connections can we find between these three kind of components we head to the library of the internet and after a bit of digging we would find that monkey brains according to holly gailey in her 2017 book the compassionate treatment of animals was an ancient dish consisting of the brains of monkeys and apes and it was a tradition that began in 17th century manchu han imperial banquet of the Qing Empire. It was a whole thing where warm brains were eaten directly from the animal's skull. So we're going to look at that, but we're probably going to flick past it because this brain was intact. There was, you know, that was the only part of the animal that we had. So that didn't really fit. Right. We decided to dig a little deeper and we soon discover a Chinese belief belief system relating to the brain, something called Qigong. Have you heard of this? I've definitely, like, as in like, that sounds familiar to me. I don't have like a lot of info. I'm not... I'm not accessing, in my <laughs> iPad brain, I'm not accessing a lot of data about sure. Qigong right now. Okay, fair. Okay. So Qigong is this ancient Chinese exercise and healing technique that involves meditation, controlled breathing, and movement exercises. So the character Qi, which is spelled in al- uh, alphabet QI, makes up mm-hmm. the first part of Qigong. Is a diff- it's kind of a difficult word to translate into English, but it's it kind of roughly means vital energy or information or breath or spirit because those things are very much intertwined in the like original kind of Chinese religions. And then the second character, Gong, means cultivation or mastery. So it's kind of this idea of like mastering your energy or like cultivating your vital energy. And so that kind of, you know, that kind of corresponds with things like Tai Chi, which is this mind-body exercise. And it's basically the idea that the two, the left side of your brain is masculine and the right side of your brain is feminine. And you need to learn how to balance the two with movement and mastering of your own mind which is pretty cool yeah i've heard yeah i've heard she described as almost like a vitality or a life force yeah maybe like the closest that we've but it's like a little bit more like yeah it's like like, it's got more benefits it's like less passive than i guess yeah the way that we think about like i don't think that we think about a lot of ways in the west to like increase our life force but you can increase your chi and work on it but they have started doing tests where um like eeg studies like like electrical reports from the brain have reported changes in the brain after practicing qigong where you like your brain is much more relaxed which i think is really cool that is cool wish my brain relaxed (laughs) so there so we have these possible connections about chinese coins and chinese interest and beliefs about the brain and so then let's look at these pink flowers we could go and visit this expert botanist let's just say that 
like we're in London and those are easy to come by. <laughs> and they can tell us that these flowers are called Dianthus chinensis, better known as the flower of the gods or China pink. And it is a species of Dianthus native to Northern China that is ported to have therapeutic properties, like a very key herb used in Chinese herbal medicine. So there's everything about this package, the way that it was wrapped, this a brain, this money, this uh, uh, flowers around it has China written all over it, Chinese culture. Mm -hmm. So I think looking at this now, you could conclude that we're maybe looking at some kind of ritual, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I love a ritual. Yeah, we found a brain wrapped in flowers and money. That's something that's probably ritualistic. So let's look into the Chinese beliefs about afterlife and death and what happens in death rituals. Because I, I started looking into this and it's fascinating. I've never le ever learned about this because like in history, you know, we pretty much really only learn English speaking history a lot of the time. Yeah. And I just, I never knew some of this stuff and it's really cool. So Chinese have this very complex relationship with the death and the dead. It's a huge and very diverse country. So the different funeral rituals are influenced by so many different religions and regional differences. There are these like particular common themes. So uh, they've always had very elaborate funeral rites and memorial rituals, and they put a lot of time and money into honoring the souls who have died. The burial practices depend on the age and social status and marital status of the person who has died, which is like that kind of seems to go beyond family ties, which is pretty wild. The location of their graves is all chosen according to the laws of feng shui, which is the uh, Chinese practice of spacing physical objects in a particular way to influence the flow of energy. And it's believed that the grave's location will impact the cheese surrounding the family of the person who's died. So in the case of a royal burial, good or bad feng shui could affect the entire nation was taken very, oh. very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. This is a huge like it part kind of, of like, it. It's like a, a kind of an interesting sort of lateralism, mm -hmm. like how like these things are affecting, like death rights affect everybody who is still alive as opposed to sort of like, I guess like a more kind of like vertical, uh, you know, right. bloodline dynasty succession kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Much more lateral. Yeah. It's like, I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. It's like, we're on this, we're at this point in time, but everything is relevant on this path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the heart of Chinese culture is this sort of filial um, piety, which is reverence for elders and ancestors. I mean, you've probably seen in some movies, which were probably pretty poor depictions of Chinese culture because they were most likely made by America or England. <laughs> but <laughs> you've definitely probably seen this idea of, of worshipping or speaking or praying to the ancestors that happens in oh, Chinese you're talking culture. About Mulan. I mean, sure, that is a great example. <laughs> um, when they sing, you know, when they sing to you you'll bring honor to us all exactly yeah 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 <laughs> but the same idea applies to death rituals and chinese funerals are usually arranged by the children of the person who's died or younger members of the family much less for like an economic reason like it is for us but because it's like much more duty based and i guess there is like a sense of duty in, in our it's it's but it's less pronounced right for us mm -hmm. it's much more like because i should rather than like this is my duty that i have no decision over i don't know i think i understand what you're saying I think it's more abstracted in right. like Western culture. Yeah. It's just what you do, but you don't think about why or like how it like would affect you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the key part that ties it to the mysterious finding at Lake Michigan. So when you attend a wake or a Chinese funeral, essentially you what used to happen is that you would you would give money in white envelopes to the family members of the person who died. And that was supposed to cover the cost of the funeral. And it always had to be an odd number, which I think is really interesting. It's cool. And yeah. the amount that's given 
often depends on the relationship between, you know, the bereaved family and the guest who's giving the gift. That makes sense. And nowadays, they don't do that as much. What they do is they they have this paper money called Joss paper, and that's burnt during these funerals instead. And it's made to look like money. It's like it's made from bamboo or rice paper, and it's made to look like money, and it's burnt in order to sort of quote unquote give money to the souls who have died. So oh, it kind cool. of changed from this like funeral dowry into much more of like a symbolic gesture that leans much more into the idea of giving the dead tangible things to take with them into the afterlife. So like grave goods and giving food, which has always been part of the ritual, but like that has evolved much more into this practice of burning this fake money to transfer it to them, which is now kind of, it's now apparently called ghost money or spirit money because it's, it's believed that the souls will need money in the realm of what is essentially purgatory. It's called Dayu, where they are judged by the Lord of the earthly court before being taken to either heaven or hell. So like you need money for that realm. So they burn Joss money for you. Aww. Um, Put it like in your commissary account. Yeah. Right. I mean, and like even still to this day, like many religions and cultures, the Chinese believed that the dead would need physical objects. And so they would bury them with like their prized possessions, like gold and jewelry and pottery. Uh, And that's even still done to this day with smartphones and designer clothes and shoes and even kitchen appliances. They want to send them off with these great grand gifts. But there's nothing within all of that, which is very cool and interesting stuff and learning about other cultures is super rad, but there's nothing about removing a brain and sending it off into the water like a message in a bottle. There are some uh, similarities, but not really. Mm -hmm. So then we can look into kind of ancient traditions around, like even more ancient traditions around the afterlife and stuff like that. Pretty much in every culture since like 7,000 years ago, people in ancient Greece, North and South America, Africa, Polynesia, and the Far East practiced trepanation. Have you heard about this trepanning? Yeah, that's the that's the hole in the head, right? Right. Yeah. This like yeah. pretty brutal surgical procedure that was like evolved <laughs> drilling <laughs> drilling holes in people who were still alive. Often it was to allow passage of spirits in and out of the body because uh, like scientists have tried to argue that it was like a treatment for skull trauma or some kind of neurological disease, and it was like no, yeah. no, <laughs> they didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably no, much they... more of the spirits in the brain thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love to uh, think they were like, I'm going to treat a complex brain disorder in 7,000 7, BC. Yeah, I don't think that's what they were doing. Probably not, probably not. But scientists still argue as to why our ancestors Japan skulls at all. Again, even though there are so many, um, lots of discoveries and findings of this happening in the same Chinese region, this doesn't make any sense because the brain, <laughs> the brain was completely intact and it wasn't like mashed up and removed like ancient Egyptian cultures would do because remember this was in like 2020 this was last year (laughs) so whilst the currency flowers and organ itself point to a Chinese or like Chinese adjacent ritual the brain of the whole thing remains a mystery but this one reporter made a pretty (laughs) pretty sort of like Sherlockian stab at what they think it was and I just thought it was super fascinating so this guy said if I had to make it a stab at it whilst it can only be speculation at this stage I might conclude that 
that someone living in a Lake Michigan city with a deep-seated interest in traditional Chinese medicine or in Chinese cosmology and religion also worked in a late-night Chinese restaurant. And I would think that after a pig was butchered, the sympathetic member of staff perhaps took the time to dispose of the animal's brain respectfully and set it into Lake Michigan after wrapping it in aluminium with two pink flowers and Chinese coins, three components found in Chinese restaurants. The pink rubber band was one of the heat-proof bands used in ovens. Oh, well, that's a very good little piece of evidence. I think, I mean, that was his, just his theory about it. I mean, yeah, the band is a very good piece of evidence, but yeah, I love that they uh, pretty much, you know, I guess at this point, it wasn't much of a, enough of a story for them to, once they found out it was an animal, like it probably wasn't enough of, them, of a story for them to like uh, follow up on. Right. But I love the idea that it was like someone was honoring an animal in like a beautiful way and, and trying to like send it off with in like a respectful beautiful way and I thought that was awesome it, it is very sweet it's my first thought was um like a pet but yeah. the kind of tying it into maybe like butchery with the heat proof like band mm-hmm. and also it being an aluminum like makes sense as well all the things you would find in like a takeaway restaurant yeah exactly but yeah there's like something beautiful about that like even on the I, surface I, of it's like kind of like I mean it probably would have been a very spooky find oh yeah like as far as a beach treasure goes not the one that I'm looking for no but as far as like once you have you it and you're trying yeah. to figure out why it's better than like a curse yeah for sure <laughs> yeah it's like oh um, someone was it's trying like to be a, yeah it's a respect thing yeah <laughs> well maybe it's just practicing do you want to do scores now or at the end we could do scores at the end okay <laughs> This is an ambitious what topic? Oh, it's an ambitious piece. It's an ambitious piece. Um, <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> the Nine Days Queen. Oh, that's right. So here's the thing. And this is why I think the story is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, like many young American lasses, uh, I went through a phase in, in fourth, fifth, sixth grade uh, where I loved reading about like the kings and queens, like the European Aww. monarchs. Uh, yeah. And I like went through like a real intense like Henry VIII phase and like read all the books about the wives and the daughters um the other belinda oh i read those later because they were historical fiction Mm -hmm. and i was like a little bit of a um, little bit of a snob about it (laughs) but i read them later and i really liked them i read the first one actually that i read that got me interested was a book about mary mary tudor who Uh was who we will talk about in the in the depth of this story but who really had ooh uh for being uh one of the most powerful people in the world had a pretty shitty life all the way around for sure yeah and from there i was really interested to continue to to read about these things okay and i remember when i was a kid coming across the story of lady jane gray the nine days queen of england Mm -hmm. uh, an oft forgotten monarch because since she was only queen for nine days she was never coronated so she was like right like a queen in title or like she was named queen but she wasn't Mm -hmm. coronated officially so that you know gets into some like weird stuff with with english culture uh, 
What's so interesting about this story is that it kind of breaks down what keeps the monarchy itself power. Mm. <laughs> oh boy. Well, obviously, you know, like this is something that like, especially I feel like Americans have like a, a unique interest in yeah. like the English monarchy. One, because like it started from a place of rebellion. Like we were like, oh, fuck you, King George. Now we're going to yeah. go do this stuff. And then, you know, there's always like kind of been this feeling of just like uh, our culture is like much younger and it's not rooted in this kind of pomp and circumstance that's like really fun to watch as an outside observer (laughs) and so I think like that's like how like Americans kind of like interact with like the English monarchy is ooh like we're on the outside looking in at this thing that doesn't like directly affect our lives but that we can be like oh oh my god crown sash (laughs) holy shit and obviously the English monarchy of today is so different than the English monarchy of like the time period that we're going to be talking about kind of I mean well it's a constitutional monarchy so you guys have a prime minister yeah. and parliament and like oh, all right, these other yeah, ruling yeah. bodies and then the queen back in them comes days in. it was like this is what I want to do yeah and then the queen is like sure and then <laughs> unless it's and bad fox her- hunting she doesn't like that one yeah and then they uh, put her face on the money yeah Look, Philip, I'm a stamp. (laughs) In England in the 1500s, very different story. The monarch was truly the monarch. The monarch set the course for the country. If the monarch wanted to go to war, the entire country went to war. Uh, If the monarch wanted to feed people, people ate. If monarch wanted people to starve, they starved in their houses. Uh, It was that life or death. And so how do you have and how do you keep that kind of singular power over so many people? And the answer is, divinity like in short I mean obviously Mm -hmm. you know people write people write entire books about this people teach you know semester long courses about this so but if you want to just get a short answer in a podcast by a (laughs) non-expert the answer is divinity well even to this day even to this day like I think um, she's been pretty like Queen Elizabeth II has been pretty upfront about being like I you know I think I think you kind of have to be I think if like yeah growing up as that person growing up in that position I think if you didn't think that there was a reason for it then it would the whole you go insane it's absurd yeah it's absurd on its face unless it's you so can insane. give this reason to unless it you give it meaning right which I think, yeah so part of them had to be like yes i you know i'm chosen by god to do this right so god gives the monarch the right to rule mm-hmm. uh, and that's why like coronations happen in a church right so at this time the religious part of the english monarch's right to rule the time period that we're talking we're going to talk about which is uh-huh. starting in about 1553 uh, is in an absolute fucking clusterfuck nightmare garbage fire mess. Okay. Uh, and the reason why is because a few spooky years earlier, King Henry VIII decided to split from the Catholic Church Perfect. to start his own religion, oh, right, uh, which he right. could do because once again, he's the monarch. Now, mm-hmm. this is the part of the story that I think that most people are maybe like just very like tangentially um, familiar with, but I'm going to recontextualize it into the story that I want to tell about this nine days queen. How (laughs) Henry VIII doing this is the reason that Lady Jane Grey ended up being queen for only nine days. I mean, I'm sure, but yeah, I'm excited to learn more. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, again, like, and I think these are things that absolutely, Ellie, you're going to know about. So, like, feel free to jump in. Mm -hmm. Thoughts, ideas, you know, (laughs) just like beliefs, whatever. Memories. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I was there. So, Henry, King Henry VIII uh, was a huge figure, not just uh, for being king, which he would have been, you know, would have been central in people's lives anyway, but because as king, he was like, you know, um, he was an avid huntsman. He had a real 
cult of personality. Mm -hmm. He was beloved by subjects. Uh, And he was kind of a Lothario. So much so that his first wife, who everybody thought was going to be his only wife, ha ha ha, little did they know, uh, was his brother's wife. And then his brother died. And then she was like, hey, even though we were married for like, you know, more than a hot minute, we actually like never had sex. And King Henry was like, I'll take it. And he just married his brother's widow. And that's why his wife, Catherine of Aragon, who was a devout Catholic, was much older than him. So they had, so like by like late into their marriage, they'd only had one child and it was a a daughter, Mary. Yeah. And Henry loved Mary and doted on her. She was the princess royal. She was the crown princess. He had her officially coronated as his heir, as like the uh, princess of Wales, which is like a designation for the heir to the crown. And he had, for all intents and purposes, groomed her to be the next monarch. Yeah. But, you know, for whatever reason, for a lot of complex, weird cultural reasons, he, you know, always wished that he could have had a son. Uh, Catherine of Aragon (laughs) had several miscarriages, including some stillbirth sons, but never produced a living male heir. Uh, And by this point in time, she's getting older. So she's like in her like 40s, which at that time was like being a billion. And (laughs) and so everyone had kind of really just like accepted this idea that maybe they were going to have a queen, which was not a thing that England had had up until that point. They had had co-reigning queens. So like queen consorts who also like exhibited, you know, some like level of power. They had had dowager queens. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, so like queen mothers who like exhibited a lot of control. They had some like kind of like special cases, but they hadn't had a true like queen regnant is what it's called, like in her own right ruling. So, but they thought this, it's going to be Mary. But then a spooky little thing happened where he fell in love (laughs) with uh, one of his wife's court women, uh, ladies Uh in waiting, named Anne Boleyn, rest is history. Didn't go so great for Anne Boleyn. Yeah. But yeah. Mm -hmm. But he did get another daughter out of it. But here's, here's where this becomes relevant. And this is also the first thing that I ever learned about the tutors that I was like so obsessed with uh-huh. because it's so fucked and I don't think people think about it a lot. So people know that Henry VIII so wanted to marry Anne Boleyn because he was so obsessed with her that he divorced Catherine of Aragon, which was like mm-hmm. something that nobody ever did at that time in he order to the do that. national religion. Yeah, because the, he asked the Pope, can I divorce my wife so I can fuck? And the Pope said, no. And he said, well, fuck you, Pope. Wow. We're not Catholic <laughs> anymore. You're going to tell me who I can fuck? I'm a kid. So so, so he split from he like he split He's from like, Catholicism now. Peace. Yes, he said. Now I'm the head of the Church of England. It's a new church. It's a very cool church. And guess what? The Church of England still exists. It does. <laughs> and also, you're not allowed to be Catholic. I think they might have just changed this, but like I do remember, you're not allowed to be Catholic and marry anybody in the royal family. Like maybe oh, up until like literally like two years ago or something. Yeah, that 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 sounds right. That sounds about right. <laughs> uh, but but there's a couple things kind of like missing I think contextually from this like it's obviously like it's a great like story on its face of just like you're trying to make a portrait of Kent, of Henry VIII and, and what he was like he's the kind of guy that would make his own religion so he could bone like that's <laughs> great but he was playing into a much larger like cultural conversation that was happening during this period in Europe which oh, like yeah. you said was Protest- Protestantism so Protestantism didn't start with the with the Church of England it started with Martin Luther right. who I think if you're like me, everybody's heard the name and vaguely know like what he's about, but like don't know a ton. 
on. Martin Luther could be his own what topic, but Martin Luther was really the one that that started Protestantism. And Protestantism, as you can, like from the name of it, it's protest. So it is people who at the time wanted to retain their Christian faith. They believed in Christ. They They didn't want to stop believing in Christ, but they really did not like the way that the Pope and the Catholic Church were running things. And if you know even like one or two things, if you've heard like yeah. maybe a, a couple of what episodes where we've talked about like the Catholic the Church's institution at that time. <laughs> yeah. The murders, the extortion, the, extortion, the um, power yeah. plays, the like brutality Pretty of the Catholic stuff. Church. You can understand why somebody might be like, hey, I love this faith and like I'm not going to stop believing in Jesus, but you guys suck. Yeah, and, but like, I think that I don't, you guys might suck a bit. and um, You guys might be um, bad. Done with that. Specifically a religion that's supposed to be based on um, ideas of like universal, you know, universal brotherhood, uh, universal love. I believe that Martin Luther has been played by Joseph Fiennes in uh, the 2003 film Luther, but Martin Luther himself looks a lot more like, gosh, how like like how Michael Palin looks now, just not not like Joseph Fiennes essentially. Is what yeah, I'm trying no, to say. not at all. Yeah, maybe like Jack Black if he wanted to have like a dramatic turn. Could yes, really. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Like do numbers as Luther. Uh, yeah. But Joseph Fiennes also a choice. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you have. Trick. this massive schism happening throughout uh, Europe and it's sending huge shockwaves. One, because obviously the Catholic Church as an institution has essentially controlled the entire continent for hundreds of years yeah. because why? Every country has a monarch. Every monarch is given Money. the right to rule through God, aka the right to rule through the Catholic Church. Yeah. So for citizens to be like, we reject the Catholic Church, we say the Pope is not the head of the church, the Bible is the only thing that can give. The Bible is like the true source, not the Pope. That yeah. was radical at the time. Uh, and then King Henry VIII really like just throws like an absolute wild card energy and says, you know what? For really not a good reason at all, <laughs> England also Protestant. Fuck oh, the Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh, he basically he flipped the pulls, table at Eurovision. Yeah. He well <laughs> he pulls England and Wales who were not trying to uh, be part of this We're into this like this. Protestant. Leave me alone. We're not. They were like, they were content just to like live their little lives and be, yeah. you know, a dominant power. What wanted to uh, do. Yeah. And then, and then Henry was like, but what if Guess I wanted well. to have sex? <laughs> and so not only did he do that, divorce Catherine of Aragon, Mary and Boleyn. But if you think about the way succession works yeah. for him to divorce Catherine of Aragon, that means that his, um, his children with Catherine of Aragon are illegitimate. So Mary, <laughs> who at this point is like a teenager. So imagine you have lived your entire life being told that you are essentially the chosen one the you know the first woman that's ever going to reign in her own right the future head of this country yeah based on your divine right given to you by god and now all of a sudden everyone's like hey uh you're you have a new mommy now and she doesn't believe in you and she's gonna have her own baby so you're no longer a princess you have no title your name is lady mary you have no sex you have no status yeah you have no sex you work in the palace where you once lived Mm. so that's what happened to mary so if you want to know why she was such a bitter person that's a big part of it and the only thing that mary had was her faith right which she had gotten from her mother so she was also a devout catholic just like her mother and she had to just kind of continue to believe that no matter what happened um god would provide for her to rule over england one day because that was her divine right as had been explained to her her whole life so that happens anne boleyn as we all know did not have a son had a 
daughter, real problem for her. She got her head cut off. It's kind of like once King Henry like opened those floodgates and was yeah. like, oh, I can just do this. Uh, he of. didn't stop. So yeah, yeah. he killed Anne Boleyn, married Jane Seymour, and then finally got the boy of his dreams. Says, baby boy, uh, who, boy. Ended up, who ended up being Edward VI. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward a little bit. There's some more wives, but none of them had babies. So let's fast forward. It's 1547. King Henry VIII dies and his son, who's only like nine years old, becomes king, King Edward VI. Now, Edward is born, Edward, like his older sister Elizabeth and Boleyn's daughter, they're born post this split, post the Church of England. So they're Protestants, unlike their eldest half-sister, Mary, who, like Mm -hmm. I said, very spooky, devout Catholic. (laughs) So Edward is a Protestant king. He wants to continue the works of his father. He's also, like I said, nine years old. So although like scholars say that, you know, obviously he was really well educated. He was, you know, highly intelligent. Mm -hmm. He is a child. So he gets a a protectorate. He gets, you know, kind of like a a regent to watch over him. Uh, There were no men in the family that would be able to do this. Henry VIII only had sisters or he had an older brother, but he died. Hence him marrying his wife. Look, it's all complicated. It's a lot going on. There were no like male, like royal family members that could do this. So they appointed the Duke of Northumberland, mm-hmm. a man named Dudley, to watch over and be his protector. But here's the thing. John Dudley had a problem Uh-oh. because Edward VI had a touch of tuberculosis. Uh, he, he was maybe the sickly, short-lived king that you might have been thinking about when yeah, you were thinking think about so. Jane Grey. So he's got this little boy king that he can control. <laughs> he's essentially, uh, Dudley is running the country for all intents and purposes right. through his like puppet child. But now his puppet child is sick and is going to die. And that's a real bummer because the way that Henry VIII had left the line of succession, it was going to, he had actually later in his life become very close to his adult daughters, um, Mm -hmm. Mary and Elizabeth. He restored them back into the line of succession. So he said, Edward, obviously boy, I mean, boy, come on, is going to be king. But like, if for some reason he doesn't like fuck just like his dad and like make a ton (laughs) of kids, if somehow that doesn't happen, if somehow he gets tuberculosis and dies as a child, then I guess you guys can like be in the line of succession afterwards. Which would be crazy. But like, that's never going to happen. Cause like he's, you know, like normally the way it goes is you have like a young, you know, sexy king and he grows up and then he gets married and then he just has a billion kids. And then like, that's the new line of succession. Mm -hmm. So no one ever thought that this was going to come to it until Edward got really, really sick. And now the Duke of Northumberland is like, fuck, because who's next in line? Mary. Mary, Mary, devout Catholic. So all of this Protestant work that, um, the kind of like Protestant movement in England has been doing since uh, Henry started the Church of England, it could possibly be undone in a heartbeat oh, by, by Mary once she becomes queen. Because this is pre-prime minister, pre any kind of separation of powers. She will have universal rule. Yeah. So he's like, we've got to find a way to stop this. Enter Jane Grey. Jane Grey, also a child. She's 16 at this time. Uh, historians say that she was also highly educated. She spoke English, French, and Latin. She had been really well educated for a woman at that time. And the reason why is because they were hoping that she was going to marry Edward and become the queen consort of England. Ah. But it became pretty clear that that wasn't going to happen when it was clear that his disease was terminal. So the Duke of Northumberland comes up with a new idea. He says, okay, so the way the line of succession goes right now, it's a little bit screwy for England in the sense that it's like, 
like, oops, all girls, just like never happened uh-huh. before. But you have Mary, then you have Elizabeth, uh, who was Anne Boleyn's daughter. Mm-hmm. Then you have, you have to go back to Henry's siblings, uh, mm-hmm. who were all, mostly all dead by this point. But he had a sister, Mary, who is dead. She had a daughter who is Lady Jane Grey's mother. So they, they come up with this plan where Lady Jane Grey is going to marry the Duke of Northumberland, remember the guy that's running the country, mm-hmm. his son. And in exchange for that, this woman that would be next in line after Elizabeth, Lady Jane Grey's mother, she's going to abdicate or she's going to give up her place yeah. in favor of her daughter. So now they can skip Mary and Elizabeth by saying that King Henry VIII had declared them illegitimate when he wanted to marry new people and that he <laughs> didn't have the power to undo that. So despite what he said in his will, he doesn't have the right to re-legitimize oh. who he had said was illegitimate. So he say, so they say, Mary, Elizabeth, they're out of the running. Now it's this woman and she is giving up her spot in favor of her daughter, who just so now happens to be married to Guilford Dudley, son <laughs> of the Duke of Northumberland, the oh, current de facto that? ruler. Yeah. So it really seemed to be really working out for uh, the Duke of Northumberland. Yeah. As Edward was on his deathbed, they persuaded him to accept this. Again, like if you think about it, he's 14 years old. He's basically been raised by this man uh, who has been doing the ruling on his behalf. And this man says, this is the only way to save England from the Catholic Church. Because if you let your sister Mary become queen, then everything we've worked for is going to go away. And Edward was a devout Protestant. So he agreed. And on his deathbed, he signed in this plan and he declared Jane Grey his successor. When the Duke of Northumberland and Lady Jane's parents brought her again, a 16 year old to the castle to let her know that she was going to be the new queen of England. Uh, it was a real shock to her and she fainted. Uh-huh. But when she woke up, they say, and I mean, you know, these things are a little bit murky because the only record we have of it are the people who were in the room where it happened. And they obviously had a, um, a bias, but yeah. they say that, you know, she was just really brave. And she said, if this is what God wills, then I'll do it. She seemed a little reluctant, but again, like this isn't just like a power play, like a naked like power grab, although there's obviously parts of that. Um, this was like a religious thing. It was like the only way to protect Protestantism in England is to put this woman on the throne. Yeah. But then here's where things get fun. No one knows who Lady Jane Grey is. And as we discussed, like divinity is how kings and queens gave themselves the right to rule. But the true power under that is the people's um, belief in that divinity. Right. So the people don't know who Lady Jane Grey is. Like she just like appears. It's as if Queen Elizabeth II died like tomorrow and they were like, oh, and then here's Florence. Here she is. <laughs> and they're like, well, wait, what about like Charles and William and like these like characters we've like grown right. to know our whole lives? They're like, no, no, it's going to be, it's, uh, it's all left eye Maggie now. It's her now. Like it's, it's her. So it didn't go great. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mary, as you can imagine, kind of furious, but sure. at this point in her life, she's like 37. Uh, she's used to, she's used to this kind of shit happening. So she immediately starts traveling around. And now England is pretty split between Protestants and Catholics, but also it has like a large amount of the, uh, of the populace who maybe like don't care about like the kind of high minded schism that's happening in like rich people's lives. Uh And they're much more interested in like just sort of their day to day. And for them, Mary, who's traveling around from village to village and city to city in England, she becomes like a martyr folk hero uh, where she's been like the long 
long-suffering first daughter, oldest child of King Henry VIII, who is still a big like cult of personality figure in England. And she's telling them about how mean old Duke of Northumberland stole her crown. So <laughs> she gets a huge amount of people together and they threaten to storm London <laughs> and, and violently depose what they call a pretender queen. Uh, <laughs> it scares the Lady Jane Grey's family so much that her father, Henry, the first Duke of Suffolk. So he got so scared when he saw what Mary was doing that she was kind of basically playing a ground game um, that he immediately capitulated and <laughs> was like, uh, no, I'm so sorry. Like my daughter is not actually the queen. Mary is the queen, uh, which was a real shock to Jane, who had oh, really essentially, again, 16 years old, really had done this because her parents said she had to. They told her that this is what God wanted her to do yeah. to protect England from the Catholic Church. Uh, it so, was her duty. So they capitulated almost immediately. Mary arrives in London, hence nine days. Nine days after this happens, Mary al- arrives in London and Jane's like, hey, here's your crown. No hard feelings, right? Hey, you're uh, good, right? Which is kind of sad because again, like Jane is 16, Mary is 37. Mary is like, uh, yeah, thanks. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck so, yourself. So Jane and her husband, Guilford, Guilford Dudley, are uh, put in the Tower of London. But there's this kind of understanding that like she was a pawn, that, you know, Jane was like this pawn in this greater scheme to steal the crown away from Mary. Mary knows that. Um, she can't have a pretender to the crown, a, a rival just walking around because people right. could rally around her. A different kind of, you know, um, rebellion could rise up around her. Things are still really, really tense with Protestantism versus, versus Catholicism in, in England at the time. Yeah. So she's like, I can't like, I can't pardon you, but I'm not going <laughs> to kill you. Like, it's That's not really your intense. fault. Yeah. So she lives in the Tower of London. She is definitely not the first and will not be the last like royal or aristocratic occupant to essentially be imprisoned, but like be living essentially just kind of like a normal life. Just yeah. like can't really leave the tower. Right. Ooh, until the next year, 1554, when in an incredibly unforced error, her father ruins everything. Ooh, so like dear. I said, things are things are fine. You have you have the, this kind of quiet ceasefire. Mary has now been coronated. She's Mary One of England. Uh, <laughs> Mary One. Everything could have been fine, but Mary needs to get married, right? Because if uh-huh. she does not have a baby, and soon she'll Boring. die, and Elizabeth will become <laughs> queen. As you can imagine, based on what happened to Mary as a child, Mary hates Elizabeth. Sure, <laughs> and yeah. uh, has always been awful to her. And also, Elizabeth is is a devout Protestant. So this is the last thing. This is the last thing Mary wants. Yeah. So Mary's looking around for potential suitors and she settles on uh, King Philip of Spain because Spain is where her mother was from uh, and is also uh, very much still in bed with the Pope and the Catholic Church. Very much so, so, yes. This will be a unification of like two major Catholic powers in Europe, Spain and England. This scares the shit out of the Protestants who <laughs> really thought that they had made like huge headway in turning England into a Protestant country. And now uh, Mary, right. with like, just one walk down the aisle, could potentially undo all of this. Mm-hmm. So, Lady Jane, while she's hanging out in the tower, living her like, kind of like uh, captive, but ultimately chill life, her father, the Duke of Suffolk, decides to uh, organize a, a violent coup to overthrow Mary. Oh, fun! And kill her <laughs> before she can marry uh, Philip of Spain. Mm. It does not work, because it's actually <laughs> really hard to kill and depose a monster 
monarch. Look, who's uh, a hard, all right? <laughs> and right after that, he is beheaded and sh- and Jane, Ooh. who had, who probably, probably what would have happened, I mean, we can only speculate, but like if that had not happened, if her dad had not done that, uh, probably, you know, Mary would have like held her in the tower until mm-hmm. she could produce an heir. Yeah. And then once she, once her like line was secured, like exiled her to like, you know, some like some lesser court yeah. where That's she couldn't really have any influence. Or, yeah. Right. It would have been like a quiet little like, okay, you were a teenager. You had your fun. You were queen Bye-bye for nine now. days. Now go away. <laughs> Bye. But instead, her dad tries to fucking kill Mary. So Mary's like, well, now what the hell am I going to do? So Lady Jane is um, found guilty of high treason oh. and sentenced to be burned alive on the Tower Hill or beheaded as the queen pleases. Oh, good. Um, okay. Well, and the reason <laughs> the reason for that is because traditionally burning was how women were executed for treason in England. Oh. So really by all accounts, she should have been burned. But what they were saying was the queen can spare her by just allowing her I to be beheaded. Which is ultimately that? what Mary did. Oh. So yeah, I mean, it's still not great. But Slim like, pickings, but... Yeah, on uh, February 12, 1554, at the age of 17, Aww. Lady Jane was beheaded at the Tower of London, where she had lived for the past year. Uh, her husband was also beheaded, I think the same day. Um, yes, also the same day. Some sources say that his headless body was carried past Jane's window oh, right before she was, yeah, right before she was taken to uh, to be executed. So it was a real bummer and a real unenforced error. Yeah. I'm sorry, a real unforced error. Uh, but the most interesting part is that Mary, you know, as we know, would ultimately not have like a long reign as queen. She, uh, if you don't know this, she's Bloody the Mary. origin of Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary is what the Protestants in England called Mary because she started essentially, she, she was so paranoid. Yeah, she was so paranoid, as you can imagine, uh, from all people trying to kill her or otherwise take her crown literally her entire life that she started an incredibly bloody um, persecution of Protestants where just basically anybody who refused to declare loyalty toward the Catholic Church or to convert to Catholicism or anyone who was even suspected of secretly being a Protestant uh, was put to death. Yeah. She oversaw the death of, of hundreds of people, yeah, if not she more. Was, she was pretty into it, that. It was not great. No. But she only reigned for five years as well. <laughs> so she died when she was 42, which as we've talked about, um, was like a billion. Yeah. Uh, most likely of cancer. She never had any children. And so when she died, even though it really bothered her, uh, her her younger sister Elizabeth became queen. And um. that's the Elizabeth that we know that's one of the most famous monarchs. She ushered in literally the Elizabethan era, the Elizabeth golden the age of, yeah, of science, discovery, art, and music. Um, she was she never meant to be queen. She was third. Yeah, she was third in line. She should have she should have never become queen. A girl, a mm. second girl. Which is uh, insane because that's the story of both of the Elizabeths. Yeah, exactly. And also similar with Elizabeth too, um, Henry was a second son as well. Kind of, we talked about that a little bit. He had an older brother, you yeah. know, whose wife he stole. <laughs> but his older brother was always going to be king and Henry was going to be this like playboy hunter guy. Yeah. Uh, and then his brother died and he was like, oops, it's me. Uh, what if I went ahead and just changed everything forever? And he did. Yeah. So he could bone. Exactly. Uh, so that's the story of the nine days queen, which unfortunately for Lady Jane Grey, who was, uh, like I said, 
a child really isn't about her but it is like a perfect kind of encapsulation of how these kind of like opposing forces could use um they basically use like divinity or religion as just like another tool to like insert themselves into positions of power yeah uh and how like you know uh, this is not meant to be like some sort of like weird like aggro american exceptionalism type thing but like when people talk about like uh freedom of religion or separation of church and state as being radical ideas uh in the for the creation of america in the 1700s that's kind of what they're talking about is like that isn't that is contextualized by centuries and centuries of european rule where it wasn't a separation of church and state it was state because of church right and vice versa so that's the only reason those things seemed so radical in the 1700s uh when they don't when they feel like kind of i guess like like the de facto standard today even in countries with a monarchy like the uk um is because they were so inextricably linked and the story of the nine days queen is just one of those examples it's so i mean like just like start to finish the story of all the like the english monarchy from the very beginning is pretty freaking wild like the roller coaster that it is is very fun and i love it it. is i love to hear it's bonkers it is bonkers i mean a lot of it's very bad but it's also very whimsical now um can i give you some now points t- yeah now it's time to points but real quick points points let's do it let's do it eleanor yeah first of all you brought us to the beach yeah and you know that's important to me mm, list. i loved that i was so excited to hear about a bad treasure so like that was seven <laughs> points right off the bat love it um i do need to take away and this is hard for me yeah four points because you were at the beach yeah. but we didn't talk about titanic at all oh shit like, you were right there that's true i was on the precipice you were right on the precipice and yet didn't even and i mean lake michigan maybe the titanic didn't get into lake michigan allegedly but i've heard that there's like a billion like sunken ships in lake michigan so i mean like you were right there yeah so i did that's why i had to take off four points that's right but i am gonna give back eight points because i just thought the ending was so sweet like the idea uh this is incredibly morbid but i've been thinking a lot about like how i will like like commemorate and memorialize mamba Mm. if he were to ever pass and like i know that like and like i know he never will like he'll never die and if he were to die he'd probably take the entire universe and the fabric of space time with him yeah just because of like the source of like his ultimate power yeah but like say that didn't happen sure um and and we just had to like live on in like a post mambo world Uh um you know the kind of things i would want to do to memorialize him and it's really hard and and, um i i don't think that i will be removing his brain personally right um we'll see but i don't think so but just kind of like thinking about like the different like rituals of like respect and love and devotion yeah. from maybe cultures I don't know as much about uh, I thought was really beautiful so yeah it's a sweet story and all yeah all in all very sweet love so those that. are my thank you um, well see now I've gone for a little bit of a different scale but I think you're going to appreciate it so <laughs> you brought you brought me some English history and you know you know that's just like giving me my favorite packet of crisps or like a dairy milk chocolate bar so right. that's going to be plus 38 oh my god that's and crazy. then I've put the audacity of their behavior because the royals did some really really fucked up stuff um yeah the murdering, of, the murdering of children just being like one in a, in a in a bad soup of things that they did um yeah so i've minus 15 points from you there but <laughs> i'm gonna plus 20 points back because as you were talking about it i was like wow we're like this was like the old like ancient old rich people's like version of the bachelorette and we're still talking about it like <laughs> fuck yeah man oh yeah like it's like the the oldest reality show that we can like try and imagine and it 
it it whips just like oh and then like he had his wife murdered what yeah and then he found a new one like it's it's wild so and like oh yeah strange window you know what i mean it really was it just uh i mean like it, it absolutely was i think of the time like the biggest thing you know to talk about and gossip about yeah. like i remember i remember reading a lot of stuff about Anne Boleyn, who's like a very kind of complicated and controversial figure uh in english history because for a really long time you know she was definitely painted as like this sort of like femme fatale yeah like house you know uh was home wrecker yeah uh, well i guess i shouldn't say for a very long time because also like that musical that's ellie's favorite musical oh, about gosh. the wives of henry the eighth also really kind of perpetuate that idea of her being like <laughs> i don't know i just like wanted your husband so i took her <laughs> but like the reality is of course so much more complicated than that it involves a lot of political maneuvering say- by pretty much everybody in her family yep. you only stood to gain by having the favor of the king yeah at, at a time in which the king what the king says is law really sets like kind of like a contextualizing precedent for like you know the obsessions with like kate middleton and Meghan markle like just like what's she building in there what's she doing <laughs> What's she doing? What's she wearing? Have you seen um, Margot Robbie's interpretation of Elizabeth I in the like Mary Queen of Scots movie? No, I wanted to watch that. I like it's not it's on my last. I saw um, it on a plane, so you know. Yeah, um, it's and got plane movie energy. She is, but it's like <laughs> I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but it's she's giving a lot of Pennywise energy. <laughs> oh yes, no, I saw pictures of it. Let me pull it up. Yeah, no, um, she's giving some insane Pennywise energy. Um, but I think that. That is actually probably a much more realistic interpretation of what Elizabeth I did look like, which is not Lady Jane at all, but it just reminded me of that. Uh, Mary Queen of Scots and Elizabeth, also another Catholic Protestant. Yes, uh, big fight. fight. Because Mary Queen of Scots was Catholic, Elizabeth was Protestant, uh, yeah. and several like Catholic kind of uh, groups tried to usurp Elizabeth in favor of Mary. It's also just very, very funny. And like, again, like we could talk about this forever. People have, uh, people have devoted their lives to studying this stuff but like it's so funny to think like up until this point everybody was so anti-women ruling like it was hardcore like deep entrenched misogyny of like women cannot rule only men can rule like per god but then like for about a hundred years they were faced with like only women options and they just like immediately (laughs) went with it they were like well I don't know like who else is it gonna be like uh, I guess obviously it's gonna be Mary Queen of Scots and it's like damn like three years ago they would have been like fuck this woman kill her yeah. but like now they're like they're, she's all they got this is the only option fuck yeah so uh but yeah i well, do I remember it. margot robbie really well so this is something that maybe you know more about ellie or maybe you don't i don't know because it's something that i feel like i have heard a lot colloquially about elizabeth um but i don't i've never actually like looked up any sources about it uh-huh. which is that obviously you know she never married and yeah. was known as like the virgin queen yeah and that was definitely calculated mm-hmm. to be like if she marries then there's going to be a man and people are going to want him to like actually make the decisions and not Elizabeth. Uh, But people also say, and by people, I mean in movies, they also (laughs) say slash imply that she purposely made herself kind of ugly and like sexless just Uh. to like, basically like take, take any of that out of it. Just to be like, don't talk about how I'm like a a great beauty or not a great beauty or like anybody would be like, like lucky to marry me. Like I, I am not a woman. I am a ruler. And so, like in order to like basically in order to be taken seriously as a ruler she could not be like a woman or like their idea of a woman at the time so she like which is purposefully made herself into something that wasn't like the beauty icon of the time right is what i've heard Mm -hmm. 
Mm, that's very interesting. I like that. But I mean, yeah. the interpretation in that movie is definitely that she was like riddled diseases. <laughs> she was like syphilitic as fuck, but maybe that wasn't. Who's I mean, to say? they all had all diseases all the time. That's why all of her siblings died. Right. That's that makes yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. True. So I mean, that's that's not hard to believe. But I mean, I will say whatever diseases she did or did not have, she lived for a long fucking time. Yeah. Uh, she was sixty nine. Nice when she died. She's like three billion. Uh, which is like three billion. Yeah. She made it to the 1600s. Bonkers. Bonkers. Nobody would have ever thought. Oh man, I could talk about the this all night. Um, yeah, we got to stop. We should stop. Thank we you stop. so much for listening to this episode. Chelsea, you won with an astounding 43 points. Um, uh, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, you- it sounds it sounds normal and it sounds like um, indisputable. So. Yeah, absolutely indisputable. Absolutely. Uh, where, where could people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche, literally wherever internets are sold. Oh my God. I know. And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, and Redbubble. And our website is thosetwogirls.club. If you want to email us or send, her a, send us a message, ask us to shout anything out on the podcast. We love doing that. And if you could take a, a screenshot of you listening to this and post it on social and tag us, that really helps us just spread the word of the podcast. And we love you so much. I hope that you go and learn something this week. Wait, hang on, wait. No, I hope you go and have a great time this week. And I don't know, maybe go learn something. Uh, Eleanor. Yeah. You know what I think personally? As like a woman on earth today. <sighs> I you know what I couldn't possibly say. I think you should keep it loose. Oh. Keep it tight. Okay. And much like Bloody Mary, you don't want to say your prayers at night. <laughs> oh, Heavenly Father. 